Bibles. Philippians chapter 1, please. Turn with me uh, back there again. Philippians chapter 1. Now, you always know that a missionary is in trouble when he visits you on deputation, then he's back on furlough and he still hasn't left the country. So, uh, well, we understand that uh, there's a reason for that. And the Apostle Paul may have been seen by the Philippians as a missionary in trouble. He was in Rome, he was imprisoned, and so he wants to make sure that there are no misunderstandings, as he says in verse number 12 of chapter 1, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, notice, in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer at this time? Let's ask him to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of God who uh, leads us into all truth. We pray that he would have liberty, uh, Lord, to uh, apply your word to our hearts, to our lives, and to the needs of the hour, Lord. We pray, dear God, that we would be willing, uh, Lord, to be led by you and, yes, to be corrected by you. Lord, please help us to prepare for this year ahead by having a right perspective from your word. And Lord, we know we live in changing times, but we thank you, Father, for the reminder that you never change. Help us to stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, the church in Philippi, as you know, was a church that loved the Apostle Paul, that loved missions. They had just given him a gift to help him in his work. And they may have been wondering this question, how can God's missionary work go forward when the missionary is in prison? How is that going to work? And they may have been wondering uh, why God had allowed this. And Paul didn't want them to misunderstand what God was doing, didn't, didn't he? That's very clear. I would that ye understand, brethren. He wanted them to know that God was doing something very special. Um, he, he, uh, he, yes, was in Rome. He was under house arrest. We know that he was awaiting trial um, uh, before Caesar. And in fact, we know that there was a Roman guard on rotation watching him night and day. He wasn't allowed to leave the house. Uh, we believe that the guard was chained to him uh, personally. And so he was stuck, wasn't he? Uh, he was bound. He was in bonds. And he was not free to do the missionary work that God had called him to do. But as Paul wrote to them, he wanted them to understand that through his imprisonment and through his suffering, this did not hinder the gospel. Do you see that this morning? What had happened to him instead furthered the gospel more than he himself could do otherwise. Now you might ask this morning, how can that be? Paul was in prison. Well, we notice in verse number 12, look with me there. Verse number 12, 
that the things that happened to him, Paul says, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. In verse 13, Paul says, how? So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. The word palace there is very interesting. It doesn't just describe the building itself of the palace grounds, but the word palace is where we get the the word praetorium from. And that describes the 10,000 soldiers that Caesar himself had, his personal bodyguards, in the palace protecting him from danger. And so we understand that some of these guards were the guards that were guarding the Apostle Paul. And no doubt as they were chained to Paul, guess what Paul was doing? Well, he would have been preaching the gospel. And we know from Acts chapter 28, uh, he was renting his own house. Do you remember? And there were the Jews that visited him, uh, the, uh, the hierarchy in Rome, the Jewish leadership in Rome. And then over two years, there were others that came and he was constantly teaching and preaching the gospel. So no doubt these guards heard the gospel. And we believe that if Uh, These things led to the furtherance of the gospel. Some of them must have gotten saved. And some of them must have told others within the palace. But not just in the palace. Notice that the gospel spread beyond the palace throughout Rome. So he declares in verse 13, and in all other places. Do you see that? This is an amazing reality. Look what God did. Well, it gets even better. Notice verse 14. The Bible tells us that the Christians in Rome were so encouraged by Paul's boldness in captivity that they began to witness fearlessly, didn't they? They began to be more courageous in preaching the gospel and they took the gospel then themselves further than one man, the Apostle Paul, could have done on their own, on his own. Isn't that a miracle? Wow, what a statement. What a truth. What's the point? Well, you see, God performs his missionary work in ways that we do not think he should. God works in miraculous ways. Here's a quote by a a Christian author. He says, missions is not a triumphant enterprise. It is by definition done in weakness. And as we look back over church history, we see that the history of the Christian faith has been one of persecution and suffering, hasn't it? But it is through persecution and suffering that the church has been strengthened, the gospel spread around the world, and non-believers drawn to Christ through the godly testimonies of ones like the Apostle Paul. And so it is through persecution. Do you remember the words that the Lord said unto us in John chapter 15, verse 20? He said, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecution is a part of our Christian life. Now, here in Australia, we have not experienced great persecution, have we? Now, of course, in third world countries, in countries that did not have a Christian heritage like our own, they understand what persecution really means. But for us, we don't. But would you agree with me this morning that persecution is on its way? 
Our country is not the same as it used to be. Would you agree? Our world has changed and it is not what it's used to be. Legislation is in place and government laws are changing to restrict what we can do as Christians. And it will not be long before there'll be an anti-conversion rule just to make it fair for everyone, so to speak. And it will not be long that we will be persecuted for our faith. That shouldn't be a surprise. Second Timothy chapter 3 tells us this know also that in the last days perilous or dangerous times shall come. And we today need to understand like the Philippians that persecution and the spread of the gospel go hand in hand. So often we forget that, don't we? When we experience a little bit of persecution or restriction or limits to our faith, guess what we do? Well, in Australia, we demand our rights, don't we? We say, hey, we get a, we got to get some petitions together and petition the government. Hey, this isn't fair. Things are not like they used to be. Uh, I remember the good old days. And oftentimes as Christians, we miss the fact that through persecution, God plans to do even more in our day than he has done in the past. Our attitude shouldn't be an overwhelming sense of loss of what we once had, but it should be rather a revival of faith in God that he can do and will do great things in these changing times. Amen. Now's not the time as churches to worry about the future. We know what the end will be. And we know that God has, has, has already won. Uh, we are not to crawl into our little shells and hang on for the rapture. Amen. Whatever is up ahead, persecution, restrictions. God has a plan to use you as a church in a great way. The title of the message this morning is Missions and the Persecuted Church. Missions and the Persecuted Church. And there's an oxymoron, isn't there? How can God's church and missions go forward through persecution? Well, God does the miraculous through oxymorons. Well, we're going to look at three areas this morning where we will see that missions flourished through persecution. Three different areas. Let's have a look in Acts chapter 4, please. Thank you for turning there. Acts chapter number four. Let's look at the first persecution of the church. It's good for us to look at some of the things that happened for the first time in the Bible. And as you know, whenever something happens for the first time, God wants us to take note of it. It does set, set up a pattern for what is to come. And here in Acts chapter four, we see the first persecution of the New Testament church. The Bible says in verse 1, And as they spake unto the people, that was Peter and John, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so they weren't happy with Peter and John witnessing outside the temple. The lame man had just been healed, hadn't he? Hadn't he? People's attention uh, was had. They were listening to the message. They knew it was from God because of the miracle. But these Jews were angry. Notice in verse 3, and they laid hold on them. Now, that doesn't mean that they took them by the hand 
and gently led them to a room where they kept them. No, they laid hold on them. They grabbed them violently and violently threw them into a hold, into a prison-type room. And they did not bring them before the judges that day. No, they were unfairly imprisoned. And it was only the next day that they were brought before them. And then we turn to verse number 18. What was their verdict? And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now imagine if that was the restriction handed down from the government to us today. All right, no teaching. And actually don't even speak at all in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, practically that means no church. Isn't that right? Well, what would be the point of gathering? And what would be the point of preaching? That means no preaching. And that means definitely no witnessing. This is what these uh, disciples, these apostles were, were commanded to do. That was the restriction. Now, what happened? Well, we know that they said they can't do that in verse 19, but that's not our focus. In verse 23, the two disciples returned to the place where the church was gathered and they told them what had happened. Now, look up here this morning. Here's something interesting. Do you know what did not happen after this? They did not get together for a business meeting and say, well, we need to move the church and let's hide somewhere until this storm blows over. That's not what happened. Also, what we know what didn't happen was that they didn't hold a public protest demanding their rights for, against the Sanhedrin and say, look, we have the right to worship our God. You have the right to worship your way. We demand our freedoms. No, that's not what they did. What happened? Well, they had a good old fashioned prayer meeting. Amen. That's what they did. And they went to God in prayer. And what I want us to see, first of all, is the growth of the persecuted church. You see, when God sends persecution and when he allows it into the lives of God's people, it is not for the church's destruction. It is, in fact, to motivate God's people to grow in their faith. See, we see it as something destructive. We see it as something discouraging, don't we? And we are persecuted. No, it is designed for the growth of our faith and the growth of the church. Notice their response in prayer in verse 24. Are you still with me this morning? Yes. All right, verse number 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Notice they praised God as their almighty creator. I know these words are so simple, but these are profound truths. These are truths that we so often forgot. Listen, church family, if God is the creator of the universe, then that means he is in control of everything. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is all present. He is all wise. He is all powerful. He is almighty. And if that is true, then there is no government on the earth that is in control of anything. God is on the throne. He is sovereign. And everything is happening in our day included according to his purpose and his will. So why are we discouraged when we face 
restrictions. If God is in control, then we can trust him. Now, Peter later would write in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. There it is. Would you agree that God is a faithful creator? That means even our suffering is part of his will and his well-doing in our lives. As they prayed, they praised him as God who is in control. Notice they praise God for his overruling power. Now this is very interesting. Follow with me from verses 25 to 28. As they continue to pray, verse 25, Who by the, by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Now here's the key, verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Notice they quickly reviewed in their prayer all that God had done. Now, from a human perspective, it would seem that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, killed, and his enemies had won. But we are reminded this morning that this was not a man on a cross. This was the holy child, Jesus, God manifest in the flesh. It was the son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross And why did he die? Not for his sins, because he was sinless. When he died on the cross, we know, do we not, that he shed his holy, sinless blood to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. Once once and for all, the sinless Son of God redeemed mankind to himself. He paid the payment, the only payment that would satisfy the wrath and holy justice of God's punishment upon our sins and his holy blood was the only payment that could ever be made so that you and I as guilty sinners could be forgiven and be brought back to God and be purchased by his precious blood because he paid for our sins on the cross well that was not the end After three days, the Lord Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. So the point, as they praised God in their prayer, they acknowledged that what was a horrific persecution, the Son of God being uh, uh, um, uh, horrifically treated, um, uh, being being, um, violently crucified, put to death in the end, was the most triumphant victory by God that you and I will ever know. The victory of the cross. So through that persecution, if salvation was therefore provided for all mankind, therefore these believers realize whatever persecution we face in our lifetime, God's going to use it as well to perform his will and for the furtherance of the gospel. Do you see that this morning? 
You see, this is how God works. He sovereignly overrules the greatest attacks against his purposes and turns it around for his glory. Isn't that what happened at the cross? The Jews thought that they had won, but Christ rose from the dead. Amen. And I trust you're here this morning and you have experienced the victory of the cross. I trust there has been a time that you repented of your sins and you put your full faith and trust in Christ's finished work on the cross to pay for your sins. My friend, if you died today, are you 100% sure that you'll go to heaven? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Listen, if you don't know him as your Savior now, you will not know him as your Savior there. There are only two places to go when we die. One way up or one way down. Eternal life or eternal damnation in the lake of fire. My friend, where will you go? Christ has won the victory. Christ turned the cross around from death into life. We deserve death and separation from God, but we can have eternal life if we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Has there been a time that you did? If you're not sure, let me encourage you not to leave this morning before speaking to someone about how you can have eternal life. If you don't know about it, if you're not 100% sure of a home in heaven, don't leave this morning. Please don't go anywhere. But if you are a Christian, let's understand that persecution is coming. And now is not the time to panic. Now is not the time to worry. No, now is the time to exercise our faith that because God has done greater things in the past, he has greater things up ahead. God's sovereign rule will turn around anything that comes our way for the furtherance of the gospel. That's the kind of faith we need to have. And that's the kind of faith that will enable us to pray the right way. Have a look at the growth of this church in verse 29. Do you realize that they didn't ask God for protection? What do we often always pray for first when we face persecution? Lord, please protect me. Lord, please protect us. Please help nothing bad to happen to me. Well, let's have a look in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They didn't ask for protection. They asked for power. Isn't that amazing? Notice the growth of the church. In other words, persecution was good for them. When they realized that they were in a hopeless situation, and this potentially could be the end, legally speaking, in Jerusalem, of the gospel message, they realized that they were hopeless outside of God's divine help. So what did they do? They prayed in faith, claiming the promises of God, and then they asked God not for protection, but for boldness to preach the word of God. What a prayer. Hey, that's the kind of praying we need in our churches today, don't we? That's the kind of praying that's going to see us through in the years ahead. That's the kind of praying that's going to prepare us for the persecution to come. Now, if we grow in faith through persecution, what is the result? Verse 31. I'm glad you asked. 
Notice what the Bible says. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Do you see that the Holy Spirit filled them and they got the answer to their prayer? Boldness. Their boldness, notice notice verse 33 also at the end of the verse, and great grace was upon them all. Notice chapter 5, skip down there to verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. All right, to summarize, as they grew internally, the church grew externally. Believers were added to the Lord. These Christians were bold in their faith. They continued to go out preaching the gospel. And church family, that is God's will for you. As the world grows colder, as the restrictions increase, as persecution uh, uh, comes against the church, God's plan is not for us to hide in our shells. Amen? No, persecution is designed by God for the growth of the church. This was a good thing for them. Hudson Taylor said this, the uh, missionary to China of bygone eras. He said, in order to go forward, you must go forward on your knees. You see, missions goes forward when we are on our knees. And throughout the book of Acts, we see through horrific persecution, the gospel going forward. We see a pattern in the book of Acts. We see um, the preaching of the gospel. We see people being saved. And the devil is not happy when that happens. Is that right? The devil is not happy today still. So he sends, so uh, he creates persecution. and, And Satan wants to stop the preaching of the gospel. But as God's people go to prayer after persecution, They experience God's power and they start preaching the gospel once again. And what happens? Well, people are saved. And guess what happens after that? More persecution comes. So let's not get discouraged at the persecution. It's an opportunity for our growth. Christian, when was the last time that you viewed the persecution that is coming against Christian churches as something that God will use for the furtherance of the gospel? When was the last time your faith was revived to trusting God even more? Well, we see the growth of the church, don't we? That's what persecution did for it. Notice in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, let us look next at the going of the persecuted church. They didn't just grow, they got going. Notice verse number 7. Verse number 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now this is unbelievable. Souls were being saved, but even Jewish priests as well were added to the church. They were being saved. And I wonder, Pastor, if this is what got Saul of Tarsus really angry and stirred up. 
He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and fellow priests were getting saved and he wanted uh, to put a stop to Christianity. And so what we see in chapter 7 is a greater wave of persecution than the church had ever seen before. In chapter 8, we read about uh, the... um, We read about, of course, in chapter 7, the first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen, the deacon being put to death. Things were getting serious, weren't they? The Jews were not playing games. In verses 1 to 3, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was, notice, a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Notice verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Now, surely this new greater wave of persecution would put a stop to the spread of the gospel. Surely now this would be the end of Christianity. Well, that's what Saul of Tarsus was hoping before he became the Apostle Paul. But notice verse number four. What do we see happen? Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, the going of the persecuted church. In other words, God got them going through persecution. Now, it's very interesting when you look at the words here in verse number, uh, verse number um, four, the word scattered, in fact, means to sow throughout, sowing seed, to sow throughout foreign land. So imagine a farmer uh, sowing seed on his parcel of land only. The word scattering here describes that farmer sowing seed on other lands that were not his own, sowing seed on foreign lands. And so the word scattered describes how God was sending persecution. And persecution was like a mighty wind that took the seeds of the gospel beyond Jerusalem out into the rest of the world. That's what persecution did to the church. In verse number five, where do we find Philip go? He went down to Samaria. All right, have a look in Acts chapter 11. This is exciting. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. A good little summary of where the gospel went. Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. Once again, we see the word scattered. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice. Well, now we're getting into Syria and Cyprus. You know the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean? where Paul, the Apostle Paul, later went, and Antioch, northern Syria, preaching the word none but to the Jews only. Now, what I want us to see is that as believers were scattered out of Jerusalem because of the persecution, they took the gospel to Samaria. They took the gospel out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth out and spread the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And that was God's plan all along. And so here's my point. Secondly, God not only uses persecution for the growth of the church spiritually, 
But God also uses persecution for the going of the church. Now, I do not believe that, that the church was carnal and they didn't want to be a witness. And so God had to send persecution to get them moving. No, the, the problem was probably they were just hesitant to leave Jerusalem. They were hesitant to go. But we know, we know that they weren't carnal because the Bible tells us that they went everywhere preaching the word. They were preaching the gospel wherever they went. They were winning souls. They were keen to serve God. They just needed God to move them on in his perfect timing. Now, for you and I this morning, we need to realize that likewise, God deals with us also. Oftentimes, God finds a way, doesn't he, to stir up our nests, to get us out of our comfort zone in order to get us going with the gospel. Church family, God does use persecution to get us going, to get us moving. You see, God's priority is not your retirement plan. Sorry to disappoint you. God's priority is not your comfort, is not your children's secular education and a good job and a comfortable life in this world. That is not God's priority. The Lord Jesus Christ had one priority and he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And sometimes what we plan have powers prevailing against it because God doesn't want us to stay put. He wants us to get going. He wants us to keep moving. He still asks the question, whom shall I send and who will go for me? In Albury, in New South Wales, in Australia. And in other countries, who will go for me? And God knows how to get us moving. He often uses persecution. Have a look at Matthew chapter 9, please, for a moment. Matthew chapter 9. As the Lord challenged his disciples about the need of the harvest field, we know that the Lord was moved with compassion. He saw the need. He saw the problem that there were not enough laborers. And the solution, of course, is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. What's the solution? Well, verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, what I find interesting about 38 is that those words send forth literally mean to eject. Can I say that again? It's not a gentle sending forth. Those words literally mean to cast forth, to drive out, to thrust out, to send away. What's the point? God knows how to get us moving. He knows that so often we are too comfortable. We are apathetic. We are prone to fear. We are prone to worry. We are prone to selfishness. You can say amen. We are prone to laziness. So God oftentimes will send persecution in a way to get us moving, to eject us. Let me say this morning that some of you, and I'm sure pastor would agree, need to be ejected from Lavington Baptist Church. The pastor's thinking, I know exactly who they are. 
Well, no, in a good way, in the right biblical way. To be ejected into the field of ministry where God wants you to be. To the place where God wants you to be. Perhaps it's a place in Australia that he wants you to preach the gospel. By the way, I didn't say young men. All men. Amen. Amen. I believe God doesn't limit the gift of prophecy, the gift of preaching. Why would he do that when he wants the gospel to spread? I believe many men have the gift of preaching. They just haven't been stirred up. Stir up the gift that is in thee, Paul said to Timothy. You haven't been stirred up enough, so sometimes God sends persecution to stir you up a little bit. Sometimes you lose your job. And the question shouldn't be, oh no, Lord, please give me another job. The question should be, God, do you want to send me somewhere else for another reason? Maybe it is another workplace so you can be a witness in another workplace. Or maybe it is another place where God wants to use you to be a witness as a husband, as a father, as a family. You see, God does use persecution, doesn't he? He does use opposition. Perhaps in your family, God has used that. God has used persecution in your family to ask you the question, are you serious about what you believe? Or are you just going to appease your family members by not saying anything and just trying to keep the peace? Are you going to stand for the Lord? Maybe God sometimes sends persecution among our friends. And we realize, well, if we want to be a Christian, we're going to have to stand for truth among those we call our friends. Maybe he allows persecution in our neighborhood. Why? So that we can grow. And that we can be known as Christians. And that we can move forward for the Lord. You see... Persecution not only causes us to grow, but to go, to get where God wants us to get. And rather than you and I desperately holding on to what we have or trying to hold on to the past and what we used to have, the type of Christianity uh, we were comfortable with, when those winds of persecution begin to blow, let's respond in faith. Amen? And get going. Australia, as we have traveled around to 77 different churches, Australia is in a desperate need of Christians to go. Are you willing to go? If you're not, well, God will find a way to eject you. Amen? And by then you will be willing to go, of course, because you want to. He doesn't force us to do anything we want. But, hey, sometimes he needs to take some things away from us. He needs to take perhaps our freedoms away from us we don't welcome it we don't want it but God knows what we need and church family it is coming it is coming it's already in other parts of the world they're already used to it and they grow and they go but here we've become too comfortable so it's coming there is a people somewhere waiting for you to bring the gospel to them where are they Well, we've seen the growth of the persecuted church. We've seen the going of the persecuted church. My last point is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Please turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. I'd like us to quickly look at the giving of the persecuted church. You see, these these believers in Macedonia that Paul writes to the church in Corinth about, uh, they were facing horrific persecution. 
And these were the very ones who gave the most. This is unbelievable. Second Corinthians chapter number eight. Now, some of us are wondering, well, what should we give to missions this year? Things have gotten tight. Things have become uncertain. We don't know what is ahead. Well, let's be challenged by their example. The giving of the persecuted church. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 tells us, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. We want you to know, Paul says, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Well, notice the word affliction. Try to guess what that word means. The great affliction. It was persecution. That's what these believers were facing. And it was just not any affliction, but it was great, a great trial of Affliction. Do you notice that this morning? You see, the churches in Macedonia had gone through horrific persecution. We do not know all the details, but some of you might remember in Acts chapter 17 how that the violence of the unbelieving Jews is described, how they stirred up every criminal and every vagabond that they could find. They caused a riot on the streets and set the city in an uproar. Do you remember? Acts 17. And then when they couldn't find Paul, they, they dragged Jason before the magistrates violently and accused him of all sorts of things. Thankfully, he was acquitted. But that is how the church began in Thessalonica. You can imagine what followed. The horrific persecution that came against the church. Not only were they greatly persecuted, but the Bible says that they were desperately poor. Verse number two. And their deep poverty. Now, it's believed that because in that day, when you became a Christian, not only were you persecuted, but you also faced the reality of poverty. Why? Because if you were a tradesman, you were a part of a union. And those unions were government controlled. They were Roman trade unions. And in order to be a part of a trade union, you had to worship the Roman idols, the Roman gods. If you would not sacrifice incense to Caesar, if, if you weren't put to death, you would definitely lose your job. Many of these early Christians lost their jobs. Listen carefully, because they became Christians, imagine that happening to you today. Someone found out in the workplace that you were a Christian. That's it. You've lost your job. You don't meet the requirements anymore for equality in the workplace. That means you're prejudiced against certain people. All right, that's coming. It's coming for you. What are you going to do? Well, these believers had a choice. Participation in pagan worship and allegiance to the requirements meant prosperity, but rejection meant poverty. These believers were desperately poor, deep poverty. Obviously, they were facing hard times. But notice what Paul says. He says, I want you to know that the grace of God is upon them because in their deep poverty, verse number two, notice he mentions the abundance of their joy. Hey, this didn't change their joy. 
Their sufferings didn't change their joy. They were joyful in God abundantly and they gave joyfully. And notice it abounded unto the riches of their liberality. What does that simply mean? They gave generously when it came to giving to the needs of others and to the gospel. Verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They gave beyond their power to give. How? Verse number 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now let me wrap this up. The Bible teaches us that these suffering, persecuted, poor believers, when they had nothing, they made God their everything. Amen? Amen. And God delighted, God delighted to use their poverty to display his power, his grace through them. So these believers became the example to the churches in Corinth of the generosity, the liberality, the joyfulness of their giving. Not just to the needs in Jerusalem, but to Paul as a missionary. Here's my point. Persecution ought not to hinder the giving of the church. It in fact is meant for the the growth in giving of God's people. Persecution led to supernatural giving. Boy, we waste our money on so many things, don't we? I remember Dr. Halsey's little book on faith, promise, missions, giving, one of the classics. Maybe you've read it before. He stated in that little booklet, most Christians give more to their dog or to their cat in pet food and pet care than they do in giving to missions. Well, we need to be shaken out of our complacency, don't we? Maybe there'll come a day when persecution comes and we begin to realize what truly is important in life. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a dog or cat. Please don't uh, think that I'm saying that uh, you're ungodly for doing so. But hey, sometimes our priorities are so warped, so out of balance with what God's priorities are. His priority is the gospel. And if God sees fit to make things more difficult for you and I in being Christians, please remember it is for the growth of the church. It is for the going of the church and it is for the giving of the church. In 2021, let's remember these truths. Let's remember Paul's words that these things that happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Do you believe that God is still doing a work of salvation in the midst of the earth? Yes or no? Do you believe that we haven't been raptured yet? And the reason why? Because he's still doing that work? Yes or no? That means you're included in that work. Persecution is not meant to end God's plan. God will turn it around for the furtherance of the gospel. As first century century persecution returns to our day, we need to return to the example of the first century church. Then missions will continue to flourish through persecution. May God bless his word to our lives. 
Let's close in prayer and then pastor will come and lead as he sees fit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do live in changing times. And Lord, the times are changing so rapidly. Uh, Lord, we, we so often begin to fear so quickly. Lord, please revive our hearts. Help us to put our faith in you afresh so that we will be ready to be shocked out of our complacency. Lord, really everything we have in our lives is, is materially is, is temporary and, and meaningless. And Lord, there are souls around us everywhere in desperate need of the gospel. Lord, please help us to focus on your calling and help us to be ready to go, to give. Lord, help us to understand that you will use every restriction for your glory. Lord, we pray that we would have such a faith as these early believers. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign and that, Lord, we can expect great things from thee in this unpredictable year ahead. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and allowing us to be here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.